This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. My guests on the podcast today are Jude LaRose, Jeremiah Zimmer, and Justin Miller of Hop Butcher for the World from Darien, Illinois. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Cool. Cool. We're going to have a conversation, and I I think we're going to talk a lot about hops because it seems like it's kind of core to what you do with the name of the brewery and everything else. But first, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. For 25 years, G&D has led the way on innovative solutions that match their brewing customers' immediate and future needs. G&D backs every project they touch and provides service second to none. Contact G&D Chillers today for your chiller sizing needs at 1-800-555-0973 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. Also... SS Brewtech founders started with a very clear goal to advance brewing equipment, design, performance, and quality to the very highest standards in the industry. The SS Brewtech team draws upon strong functional backgrounds in brewing science, mechanical engineering, industrial design, supply chain, and manufacturing. SS Brewtech has the people and skill sets you want and expect from your supplier of pro brewing equipment. Head over to ssbrewtech.com for more information on their brew houses and brewing gear. We have great respect for, for our, our sponsors because obviously they make it possible for us to bring you these conversations. And uh, hey, they're pretty cool guys too. Big Agreed. fans. They yeah. are big fans. All right. We use a lot of BSG and we haven't used G&D yet, but they're high on our list. Uh, so let's talk about you. We're, uh, we're in Minneapolis um, for the Minnesota Craft Beer Festival, this, this crazy uh, consumer beer festival that uh, uh, Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine puts on. This is the latest podcast I've ever recorded and uh, probably the most beer that I've ever drunk before we had a podcast. So let's see. Oh, yeah, it's an honor. (laughs) So let's see how interesting this gets. You know, maybe uh, two years ago, I started getting these random packages uh, sent to our office. Uh, Maybe it was even two and a half year, three years ago. Um, You know, and they just appeared out of nowhere from this this rogue brewery called Hop Butcher for the World that I'd never heard of before uh, out of the metro Chicago area. Um, and I didn't know what to make of this, and so we put them in the fridge and started drinking. I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting. Um, still don't know anything. They seem to be a shadowy group making beer out of, <laughs> you know, like no exact location. Um, you know, and then the packages kept coming, and I kind of felt like you were stalking. Um, you know, but, <laughs> we were. But, but in the best kind of way, in the sure. best kind of way. And, uh, you know, and then... Uh, you know, over time, as I kept drinking, it's like, oh, I, why do they keep sending me four packs? Not that I'm complaining; it's great. Um, you know, but that required that I would drink more than one of them, each of them, which was also <laughs> kind of interesting and fun. Um, but I, over time, I grew really impressed with uh, you know the the approach that you guys have built for making beers that feel like you, that are hazy, that are you know full of flavor, that are exploring different flavors and hops. And so, uh, so I want to, you know, delve into the, those questions with you guys and, and first start, you know, uh, you know, as we always do here on the podcast, uh, give me a good, you know, two or three minutes on what your brewing background is, how you decided to move from whatever this, you know, as a hobbyist into this kind of professional scene of brewing, uh, and where you are right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think the one of the funnest stories we like telling is how we started homebrewing in the backyard. Uh, we started before that as uh, regular beer consumers. Everybody has their choice of mass-produced lager that they drank in college or you know when they turn 21 um but i think everyone also has that aha beer and in jude and i had met uh around the 2009 2010 type era where we both stumbled on gumball head by three floyds at the same time and that kind of opened the door to us to what craft beer could be you know relative to your your red stripes your uh rolling rocks coors lights bud lights etc And that really opened the door also in the sense of we wanted to try as much as we possibly could. So what we ended up doing was effectively creating our own, uh, well, 12, 18, 24 packs. You know, not all that different than walking into a liquor store, making your own six pack. But we were all pitching in uh, our own uh, money into this group, picking a theme and just trying as much as we possibly could. And what we found was is that we, in comparison to some of the beers that we were tasting versus some of the beers that we had started brewing in the, in the backyard, uh, was that our beers weren't all that different. You know, we, we enjoyed a lot of the beers that we were drinking, but we also felt like some of the beers that we were making were, were pretty good. Um, and so that, that gave us a little bit of the delusion that, that we could maybe do this sort of thing. <laughs> sure, you know, we sure. had a lot to learn. We had an infinite yeah, yeah. amount of knowledge. Delusion to soak in. is the right word. Um, right word. <laughs> but, but that, that's really what kind of lit the spark, you know, behind what we wanted to do. And that, that set in motion, I think, a, a series of events that uh, eventually uh, entailed us trying to figure out how we could do it on a commercial level and soaking in more knowledge and how do we make our beers better, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you guys have not followed the standard, what what is now the standard model, which sounds crazy because now this standard model has existed for maybe four or five years now of launching a tap room and building out a brewery. You all have taken a different approach to kind of pursue this passion for brewing. So so what we did is we, um, and I want to say in 2014, uh, we were able to start an Indiegogo campaign um, to raise enough money to buy a 15-barrel fermenter and install it. Uh, at a, in a brewery that uh, that allowed us to brew beer out of their brewery, but use their brew house on days they weren't using it and use all of their equipment. Um, so I think when it came down to it, uh, we were probably had enough ignorance and naivety uh, in starting a brewery. Um, we we went ahead and when we took a look at like what it would would take to uh, get a brewery off the ground, uh, we didn't know if it's necessarily realistic, but to be able to uh, maybe kick out 15 barrels of beer uh, every month and kind of prove to ourselves or, you know, to the market that we could sell some beer, that we actually do it before we put in three quarters of a million dollars or a million dollars into a brewery. We just wanted to see that we could do it ourselves. So we started for a while, a year, just making 15 barrels of beer every month um, and then eventually just bringing a mobile canner in through uh, Illinois allows us to self-distribute beer uh, just get it out and get it out super fresh um, and see, I don't know, what, what people would think of it at the time. Uh, you know, I, think, I find that interesting and I, I love um, brewery startups with, uh, you know, different approaches like this. You know, I think, it, you know, there's this idea that, yeah, you know, it's all a taproom business. You have to do it that way. Um, 
But if you look at craft beer right now, and they just announced, you know, the latest statistics on the, you know, at CBC, the amount of capacity in the craft beer world versus the amount of actual beer being brewed is there's a crazy disparity between that. You know, I mean, it's this massive gap between what brewers invested in, you know, for equipment, brew house, yeah, uh, and whatnot, versus the actual amount of beer that they brew, yeah, from that equipment. Yeah, and that's you know huge economic inefficiency. You know, it seems pretty smart to share some resources, uh, you know, among smaller brewers rather than everybody buying, uh, you know, the the same exact equipment and then not using it as much as they possibly could use it. So it's an interesting and, and smart strategy. How did it? How did the, it prove that the concept could work for you guys? I think that uh, you know, in 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 hindsight, having a hundred essentially a hundred or a hundred and five cases worth of beer, fifteen barrels a month to move. Uh, right now seems crazy, right? Like we're, we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years, like introducing ourselves to new accounts and introducing new beers. And that just sounds like such a small amount of beer. But at the time we couldn't even fathom how we were going to get rid of that much beer. You know, how are we going to have the time to sell this into accounts and, uh, you know, get that many people excited about our beer, but it really allowed us to dip our toes into the market, uh, of, of just what Chicago beer is. Um, but also get a read for how people feel about our beer, how, uh, you know, how quickly each beer we came, you know, that we pulled together sold, uh, because we were doing a different beer every month. It wasn't the same beer over and over again. Um, but it, uh, you know, it, it certainly felt like the most comfortable way to, to really test the concept and make sure that, you know, people were interested enough in, in what we were trying to do and, and set set forth to do um before we like like jude had mentioned you know invested a considerable amount of resources and you know really put everything on the line you know with families and sure personal careers and how you know this is the the question that i'm struck with and we i see this where we are in colorado now you know an endless stream of new small breweries canning beer pushing it out through various distributors you know 12 percent etc um yeah, and so new stuff shows up from on the shelf from brands that consumers don't necessarily have any connection to or understanding of. Uh, how do you, you know, and, and maybe they buy it just because there's that pure desire to try something new and different or explore something that they're not familiar with. But you know, at the, at the same time, like, how do you make a brand relevant, you know, to to individual beer fans? Um, you know, without using those typical tools of this is the newest brewery in town and they've got a tap room that I can go visit, and, you know, and it feels like this place and we have a neighborhood and those people like us and they turn their friends onto, you know, how do you, how do you make that brand connect with individuals? What I think was happening, let's say around like 2013 or 14, and, and I can only speak of like what was happening locally for us in the Chicagoland area. Um, there was a time when, um, there were breweries that were opening up um, and self-distribution maybe was a new thing um, and distributing the ability to, to can beer and distribute it one hour, two hours, one day old, three days old, four days old um, was a new thing that was coming out. And Instagram was very new at the time. Um, and there were breweries like Spiteful and Pipeworks um, that were hop forward breweries in the Chicagoland area that were brand new and were canning beer and were very hop forward and were getting this out from a self distribution angle super quick to all the stores. Um, and that was like a very fresh and brand new angle, especially um, 
especially like considering the fact it was hoppy beer. You could drink beer. I mean, there were people that were posting, you know, this beer is three days old and we got it over to the beer temple in Chicago. Um, and you can grab it right now. That was a really cool idea. And I think that we took inspiration from those breweries when mobile canning was coming online originally, where we were very hop forward brewery at the time. And we decided to, to put, you know, a lot of our focus on just making hoppy beer. Um, I really think at that time, that was the kind of the angle that allowed any brewery at that moment to stand out. Not only was local really big, but the the fact that like you could get the super bright Simcoe Citra Ford beer and it was canned five blocks down the street and, you know, it was two days old or it was three days old, you know, that pushed us to, to say, hey, we could can this in an hour and get this out two hours old. And have you had a you know two hour old beer? At that point, that was cool. You could differentiate on Hop Combo. You could differentiate in the fact that we were making it down the street and we were going to get it down the block to you. You knew we canned it earlier in the morning. You were cracking a can later on that day. I mean, that was super gnarly. And we didn't we didn't come from a, an area of an idea, right? Like what where we started was. We were, we were trying to hand bottle everything. And what we realized as we were going through that process was that as we were looking at Facebook or Instagram and we were seeing everybody that Jude just mentioned, you know, hey, this, this beer is three days old. And we were like, well, this beer is already two weeks old out of the fermenter. It's a one-week-old beer and we're just putting it in bottles now, <laughs> which means we're not going to get to the shelves right, for another right. couple of days. We were kind of like, we can't mess with that. So that inspiration was huge for us. So... You know, we didn't uh, we didn't invent freshness, uh, you know, any more than we invented brewing. But I, I think that what what we were able to pick up on was uh, something that we felt mattered to the beer consumer, but also that's something that got them and the accounts that were buying our beer excited. And we really just rotated right around that. You know, what's gonna what's gonna get us as fresh as spiteful and get us to those shelves? What's gonna get us out to those? Uh, to those accounts and get people excited and we just kind of like naturally move towards that and try to figure things out that way and then at the same time jamie you know instagram is is just coming on and twitter is probably more popular than instagram at the time so from a self-distribution angle the fact that we were the ones throwing 30 cases of beer in the back of you know, like a Hyundai Sonata or like a Jeep Patriot. And we knew how 30 cases fit in the trunk. And we <laughs> sure, knew exactly sure. where we were going because we were writing those invoices and we were writing the routes. And we were driving, you know, to those stores and we could stop at a red light and say, hey, we're a block away from so-and-so. And we could kind of like just say, you know, we got 10 cases Speeding right here. The hype. Yeah. Well, I mean, but and it wasn't that. It was just we were so stoked right, to right. be to we were so stoked to be making beer. Like we were so sure. stoked that uh that we can beer for the first time. Like we had cans we could bring home to our families, to our wives, to our mom and dads and say we made this and it's not bad. Uh <laughs> and right. you know, we were, and it was fresh and we could take I mean that was that was real cool. Um, so we're stoked. We're in our cars. We're, you know, we're sending messages back to people like, yo, boom, 10 cases, five cases of this like super Simcoe Amarillo Ford, like red IPA, like, you know, go check it out. Like that was, that was super cool. And then that, that little back and forth, I don't know, that was like, that was super from our standpoint. And we were just super enthusiastic about it. I don't know. That kind of like was the early impetus or like positive feeling behind that would build up. And still kind of exists now for us. Was yep. there a, was there a moment where 
it just clicked where, uh, you know, all, all of a sudden you looked back and you're like, wait, people are really paying attention to us now. And we're, not, we're selling all the beer we make. Not only immediately. Till, only till later. Yeah, yeah. Late, it happened later. It would later. take a couple of years. Um, but that, that dialogue, sorry, that dialogue that Jude mentioned became an important part of our daily life, right? I mean, from the moment from three hours old or one hour old to a couple days old as, you know, those accounts were still moving through beer, uh, telling people who followed our Twitter or who followed our Instagram or Facebook where they could buy our beer or how much was left or the fact that it had never seen, you know, it was so fresh it had never seen a, a, a cooler. Like it was sweating because it was directly coming out of the fermenter, going into cans and then hitting a shelf. Um, that dialogue has become a big part of who we are today, and we continue that back and forth with with people who follow those those feeds who are saying, "Hey, have you hit this specific account yet?" And we're like, "No, that's tomorrow." Or, "Hey, yeah, we hit them an hour ago. Give them a call. Make sure it's there." Um, and that that you know, I said it before, but that really became a huge part of who we were. But also what got us excited because how fun is that that someone uh, cares or is so interested in buying what what you just produced that right they're on. like how do i get it right now like i'm leaving work early to go to the liquor store to buy your beer and we're like the least we can do is help you try to find it um and and that's really become uh like it, you almost you almost wonder why why that isn't like a thing Right, like the least. Well, it's high can, maintenance, you know. Yeah. I mean, that really does require a lot of uh, interaction sure. and communication from you all, time. and a lot of businesses. I mean, it's it's hard to find the resources to put into that kind of thing. A ton of time, but you know, how how much better do we feel about making the next beer if we know that all of the people who wanted to find it could find it, bought it, and it eventually disappeared? You know, and and so that that became super important to us. And the thing, it, the the. It, 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 I mean, you, you do have to be very active, um, but we're, you know, we're the people that like, like, uh, three Floyds, like blew our minds, um, like half acre blew our minds. Like, like we were getting into beer and all we wanted to do was talk about beer and drink beer and learn about beer and, 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 and talk to the people that were making it and describe what we were feeling and what we were tasting and just want to hear back and say, you know, am I right? Like, is this what I'm, is, is this what I'm getting? Can you tell me more about this? So I think it's like, we, I think we said that that we're just kind of uh, uh, like talking to people the way that like we would have wanted to be, you know, responded back to. Um, so in that sense, it's just, I don't know, enjoyable. Like, you know, you can't believe that people pick up your beer and they're interested in it and you put all you put all you got into it and you live it so that people respond and, and, and they're equally interested. It's like, hell yeah. It's like, what do you want to know? You know, what do you want to talk about? And that they're showing that enthusiasm. I mean, in that sense, while there might be a, you're stoked that there's a lot of messages and back and forth, you have no, you know, you have no, you have no problem. You're more than happy because, you know, you're, you're so much of a fan of, of beer in general and you know what it's like that you're just talking shot back and forth. And you're, you know, equally the, the maker, the supplier, but you're equally the beer geek. So, I mean, so in that sense, it's like, it's no sweat. Sounds good. Let's uh, get into a little bit of uh, uh, you know more direct discussion about how you're brewing these beers, and uh, you know some of your design around that. Uh, but first, great beers are made from select ingredients. 
With BSG, you'll bring the world to your brew house with an unparalleled and diverse selection of ingredients from across the globe to just down the road. Their dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need in every step of the way. Let BSG be your supplier of choice for products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. For more information, visit them at bsgcraftbrewing.com or call 1-800-374-2739. Also, this episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, the largest community of homebrewing enthusiasts in the world and a source for great brewing resources and recipes. All right. I think it's time for us to open up a beer. Amen, (laughs) brother. Ooh. Oh yeah! Tell me about this beer they were drinking right now. So this is our uh, this is our uh, sort of our base double IPA that we have loaded up. What's the name of this beer? This beer is called Loophole Technicality. Sorry, I forgot to say that. It's uh, one of our latest releases. I believe it's like a week old, so that goes back to it's our so fresh uh, our freshness conversation for sure. Yeah, it's super fresh. Um, this is a hop combo we've been like toying around with for a little while. We're super, super excited about it. What's and, the combo? Uh, it's uh, it's one that we've been like. Oh, I'm sorry, you. Yeah, are no, you just I was like, gonna say you're gonna lay it oh, out there. Oh yeah, and I'm build, laying it out there. The, uh... Yeah. So it's uh, it's Amarillo, it's Strata, and it's Galaxy. Okay. So it's a hop combo we've never used before. We've used a couple of those hops together in conjunction before and had great success, but we wanted to bring one of our favorite newcomers to the table, and that is the Strata hop. It's so hot right now. It's it's insanely good, and it's hot for for all the right reasons. Uh, it's super. It's super. Um, oh, what's the word? It's it's like it's kind of like a chameleon, right? You can use it in a bunch of different beers, and it'll spice it up. Uh, you can blend it with a lot of different hops, and it will jump out. It'll make itself known, but it won't it won't take over the party. You know what I mean? It's a it's a great accessory hop, but at the same time, it can drive the show if you let it. And uh, I remember the first time I rubbed it, we had we had just a couple bags, and uh, we were kind of looking for a substitute for Chinook, and uh, I rubbed it, and I'm like, guys, we need to buy more of this, like stat, we need to buy more. So we did, and we started putting it in everything. <laughs> so uh, yeah, this is Loophole Technicality. It's a uh, 7.5% double IPA, uh, hazy double IPA. It's got a bunch of bunch of oats, both flaked and malted. Some white wheat. It's got some carafoam. What kind of uh, percentages do you build base malts out of with uh, with those kind of uh, higher protein malts? Ooh, we are anywhere from the fifty five to sixty percent range. Uh, we're not we're not super heavy on uh, base malt, but uh, we do like to go. Really, that's yeah. We do okay. like we do like to go. Uh, we do like to go a little more towards the uh, the slightly more kiln base malt. So we're, we are using a lot of uh, Turo and pale. Like we're not. We're not super keen on the pills, but we like to mix it up every now and then and blend some pills in there. But for me and and for us, we we really like how uh, some good old fashioned pale malt just just like works together in conjunction with the hops. I think one of the coolest things about some of these uh, types of beers that we've built and released is that what we're trying to do is is paint uh, or, or sorry establish a good canvas for the hops to do the, the talking. Right, um, they're not all the same grist, but what we want to do is we want to build something uh, interesting and delicious, delicious, and then get out of the way and let the hops do what they do. 
Yeah. And, and so there are, will be occasions where we might, uh, you know, get obsessed with a hop like a, or a new hop like Sabra or Strata and then uh, really uh, fire down the line of hops we consider quote unquote bangers like Citra. Bangers. Mosaic. Bangers. Those banger hops. Exactly. Right. That's Big a buzzword. Secret. So and when we. Every time we say that word. <laughs> yeah, every time Jared says bangers, take a drink. We, All right. You know, we, we discover hop, we rub it, we, we are uh, intrigued by it, and then it's. Citra and Sabro, it might be Mosaic and Sabro, it might be Vic Secret and Sabro, Galaxy, if we can get our darn hands on some Galaxy. Um, but one of the things that really drove uh, this hop combo, but also what I got excited about was I felt like we were getting to know this year's crop of Galaxy better than uh, we had ever before and, and really figuring out the intensity of that hop and, and what percentage of that that hop bill galaxy should comprise of to still allow the other two hops we were using to shine, but also not to come off too green right out of the gate, which is a, is an issue for a lot of people using galaxy. Sure. So where did that land for you guys? Um, I think 15, 20%, right? Yeah. That's about where we're at. There was a, there was no galaxy in the, in the kettle and it was uh, just a decent sized galaxy dry hop, but uh, the majority of the, the kettle hops and the majority of the dry hop were definitely made up of Amarillo and Strata. We, uh, we we figured that a little spattering of Galaxy, especially with how intense it is and how aromatic it can be, uh, especially with, with how grassy it's been these days, uh, we felt that, you know, if, if we kind of let the other two hops run the show together as, like, you know, the, the two... Uh, the two best friends that anyone could have, you know, uh, that it, it would work out, you know, there's a and song reference for everything with you guys. Isn't there? Kind of, Maybe yeah. is it the three best friends? When you say, two. uh, when you say, you know, kettle hops, I assume you mean whirlpool hops. I do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We like to, uh, we don't go as heavy as a lot of people in the whirlpool. Uh, for us, uh, we, we like, uh, we like mixing it up depending on the type of hop we're using. But a lot of the time we're, we're, we're kind of reserved on it because, uh, you know, we're in we're in the we're in the brewery all the time, tasting these beers out of the fermenter. And for me, you know, if we're gonna spend all this, all, like you know, we're gonna spend what they're charging you for these for these hops these days, I feel like you get the most bang for your buck in the dry hop. And and for me, it's all about aroma. You know, the first thing you taste with is when you when you open the beer is you smell the aroma, and you can imagine how it's gonna taste. And that sort of sets the expectation. So for us, you know, it's all about aromatics, and you know. We love to. We don't. We don't leave anyone hanging. We love to. We love to use these hops in the kettle too, but um, for us, yeah, it's like I said. It's it's all about the aroma. So one of <laughs> one of the you know the the major challenges the brewers face when piling this many very expensive hops into their beers is maintaining the intensity of that kind of aroma. That's something that uh, I find all, all of your beers do very well. Um, they do. They are very bright and they're very intense right out of the out of that can right after I pour them. Um, you know, what kind of techniques do you use to maintain that level of intensity, uh, and not say, you know, blow off all of those aer- you know, wonderful yeah. aromatics that you're spending so much money on in these hops? So we've tried a bunch of different methods. We've tried dry hopping, you know, different intervals. We've tried capping, capping the dry hop, dry hopping under pressure, yeah. you know, dry hopping during fermentation. We've literally tried Research. everything. We've tried recirculation, uh, pretty much any method. Uh, if you've tried to hop with your beer, you've, you've tried that method. Or if you tried a couple, you might have... Unbeknownst might, to yeah, me, you know, I've tried like, one of these methods. Yeah. We, we, we've kind of settled into something we like recently, and uh, it's, it's going to sound crazy, but it's super no-frills. We, 
we we like to you know we like to still have a little bit of activity going on our dry hop not enough where it's like you know you're up there tossing tossing pellets in and starts to come back up on you we like to uh what kind of gravity do you start dry hopping at we start dry hopping probably uh i would say one and a half to two plato away from finishing gravity yeah and uh yeah after that i'll i'll bung it you know we'll we'll keep an eye on it and we'll uh we'll just monitor it throughout the rest of fermentation and you know right from there you know we're we're not having to lose any of that aroma and we're only doing one massive charge so So you're just dumping dumping them in not rousing just leaving them in your tank and we let we let the the fermentation rouse it. We let we let all of that stuff happen naturally, and in, in certain scenarios where I feel like uh, you know like maybe maybe the window has passed by or maybe uh, we're a little too early, we'll play it out and I'll make sure like we have methods for like if I feel like the dry hop isn't quite hitting where we want it to be, you know I've got some some tricks up my sleeve that I can do to kind of to sort of take care of that. Uh, nothing crazy. Tricks nothing super such special. as he's a magician. Yeah, no, I. <laughs> I, you knew a, I magician never, a magician never reveals his tricks. But, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, but but honestly, it's it's nothing crazy. Like you know, I'll rouse the tank. I'll yeah. I'll try some yeah. some really quick research. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Nothing nothing crazy. Like we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We're just trying to be consistent. And we're trying to really, you know, we're we're not we're not trying to to cheat anyone. You know, we're. Tr- if we say there's going to be a ton of these hops in there, there's going to be a ton of these hops, and you're going to get that flavor, you know. And well, I there's think always that, a difference between like saying and putting a ton of these hops in, and having somebody be able to perceive that you've put a ton of those hops in. There are plenty of folks that put a ton of hops in, and then for various reasons, you just don't have the perception that they've actually done that. Exactly. Um, you know, f- closing that gap, I think, is one of the interesting things that you all are, have done well. So I feel like there there are things that we can do to capture aroma, but from the top, I think, it, first of all, it starts with, and I think that it's something that we've learned probably through trial and error from or from failing, is that it probably first starts with having hops that are, um, that are higher in oil content. So... Um, that in, in our mind would be first and foremost. So as much as like, so we named our brewery Hot Butcher for the World, um, and it gave us license to pursue um, a passion of ours, which was to explore hops. So there were, you know, so at at the time when when we would have named our brewery, there was there was all these cool hops coming on board and you wanted to be able to use them. And I think we looked uh, inwards and we said, you know, it, it not only gives us license to use Citra and to use Mosaic um, and to use Galaxy and Nelson, but it also gives us license to use all these new hops coming on. Um, so, but I think that what we learn is that while we could brew, uh, you know, fifty percent Citra and fifty percent Mosaic beer and just get a banging beer out of it, at the same time we wanted to see what was coming out. And we wanted to kind of test those waters with with other hops that were emerging, and then I think like what we learned is that sometimes those hops um, in the end may have not had the highest oil content, and that would have come out in the beer, and those might have not have been the most expressive or the most intense. Um, aromas that we wanted out of the beers that we were tasting from our peers or from our favorite breweries and stuff like that. So what I think that that did is it required us to dive deeper into what uh, 
what what oil content was and 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 what oils these hops were made of and what intensity met uh and and what that meant for the finished beer so while you could hop with some banging hops and you can do all you could to capture aroma i think what it really told you is like if you're going to use certain hops um you're going to have to uh, not face the consequences of using them, but you've got to learn, yeah, what they're gonna, what they're gonna produce. And and while we want to be hop butcher for the world, and and sometimes we want to get super gnarly by using these super cool hop combos and use com- like hops in ways that they haven't been used before. Sometimes you might have to like you know you might have to you know uh, sleep in the bed that you made. Um, you use these hops with the new names on them, but they just aren't the most intense. So I think that really kind of like taught us. First off, you use. These hops and high oil content, you use Galaxy and Citra, and this is the this is how the beer is going to net out. If you and, and if you want to use beers that that aren't, this is how it's going to net out. So I think what it taught us is to how we could balance the two and what hop oils mean and what when it comes to volumes of dry hops, how to maybe still achieve a level of intensity but still use the hops that are newer and don't have higher oils, but you still want to get that character and you still want to be pushing the envelope. And I don't know that. We necessarily ever would have gone down that route if we didn't do that or if we didn't fail or if we didn't see you know we 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 wanted to use this and it didn't come out intense and why why didn't it why didn't it do that it's like this is why so i think as we start to look at things we start to play with our beers and think of our beers more so in terms of how the what like what are the hops what hops are we using? What are their oil contents? What are they going to bring? In what volumes do we use these types of things? And then, you know, we could succeed or fail, but really on the back end, it's got to come down to us and we sensory the things out and say, why didn't this, you know, should this should this big hop have provided more of the canvas? This one with the low oil content, can we get more of this? Like, should we brought this back? Um, we never would have gone, gone down that route. So, I mean, to going back, it's like, I feel it probably starts at the top end with, with thinking about, you know, the intensity of the oils and the hops that you're using in the first place, you know? Yeah. So you, you want to get to know those ingredients just as a chef wouldn't want to know those ingredients. So from like a homebrew level. Yeah. And the ingredient is one thing and I, and I get you there, you know, I, I think where this gets infinitely more complex is the interaction of those ingredients. And I mean, you know, then we start talking about multivariate axes here and the impacts you know, where small things can have bigger and outsized impacts relative to what somebody might assume from raw numbers, you know, are, you know, I'm curious about that, especially when you talk about lower oil hops, you know, and, and uh, you know, do you have some rules of thumb about how you pair these things together, looking at the various oil content of, of these, and then, uh, you know, building a math that supports the, you know, the kind of volume contribution for these to build you know, a flavor profile that you might be trying to achieve? We absolutely do. Uh, so I, I, we mentioned a few uh, earlier when we were talking about bangers, right? Like you got bangers. your Citra, you got yes. your Mosaic, Galaxy, sure. Vic sure. Secret, sure. Simcoe. Um, you know, when, when you, uh, a, good, a good, ooh, sorry again. Uh, a good example is uh, Belma, right? Crosby uh, Hot Farm, they have Belma, and it's supposed to bring like red berries and strawberries, and you'd think, all right, well, I could just make a, a single hot Belma beer, and it'll taste like strawberries and berries, but um, we, you could do that, and, and it might be great, um, you, or you could pair it with a banger like Citra and probably have better results, and I think that sometimes that 
you, you know, you, it's easy as a, as a home brewer, as a commercial brewer to get sucked into a description. And really, you got to find out for yourself through sensory analysis, through analysis, through rubbing, through tasting other beers that use that certain hop or whatever. But what we've been uh, really passionate about doing is that our constant churn of new and multiple beers per month have provided us the opportunity to really be smart about the hop blends that we're using, but how we really dive in on new hops. Uh, Sabro is one, Strat is another. Uh, we, we've used a ton of hops that don't even have names yet, or some who used to not have names and now have names. Um, but the the safest way that it feels for us to really get to know a hop is to pair it with things that we know that work right like we know what citra brings to a beer at seven and a half versus five and three quarter we know what mosaic does we know what vic secret uh, galaxy simcoe cascade do um, so when we add in these new hops that we've never used before and we get that new angle to something then we taste that beer and we're like all right what if we paired it with this and then we mixed in a little bit of this, maybe just in the dry hop. Or what if we use a little cryo and try to really hammer home this specific point? Um, or what if we dry it out a little bit and then we go under the yeast angle? You talk about a lot of variables. You could, you, there are infinite ways to make this beer better. And so it's not only the next beer that we brew, even if it's a different hop combo that we're building on the last one, but it's also the next time that we brew that beer again, which constantly changes with our lineup and having no flagships. And you, know. you just said something that I find really interesting, and that's how Citra behaves at uh, you know different ABV levels. Um, you know, it's something that we really haven't talked about, I think, very much. But how how does that alcohol level of a beer? impact perceptions of some of those banger hops and then some of the uh i'm throwing air quotes around that and then some of the kind of supporting hops that you uh you build to uh you know create some depth around them you know that's kind of an interesting question for sure and it's not necessarily something that we we sort of like sit down and we we write it on a piece of paper and we say how do how do these hops at at different abvs sort of you know, taste different. Uh, but it is something that we have noticed and it's something that we definitely take note of. We do a lot of pale ales at 5.75 and we do a lot of hazy doubles at 7.5. And uh, for instance, we did a all single hopped 5.75% Citra pale ale. And that was one of the first times that, you know, we loaded a dry hop up with Citra and I sort of came out of it thinking, this is a completely different Citra character than what I'm used to. It was... Uh, it was way less like ripe mango, way less like bright tropical fruit, and sort of that stanky, that that like I don't know that stanky. Uh, this really like this stanky orange peel kind of thing that Citra has going on. It's not quite grassy, but it's like it's super stinky, but it's it's stinky in all the right ways, and uh, it it had sort of like a drier orange character to it, uh, if that makes any sense. It was it was like I said, it was less sweet. It was. Uh, not nearly as bright, and that's something that we definitely took note of, but it's not something that we necessarily sat down and said, hey, maybe it's because of the ABV that this was going on, and 
I know Jude's had some stuff that he wanted to chime in on, but was it just ABV or was it also just the like different residual sweetnesses that come with uh, you know the smaller, slightly drier beer, you know, versus something like a double IPA, which is just gonna you know have a higher finishing gravity. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's obviously gonna play play a, a factor in it, yeah. but I'm also looking at like factors like maybe you know this beer finished up a little sooner, so maybe the dry hop target time was slightly slightly off maybe you know maybe it didn't it wasn't as active in the fermentation you know we used a little bit less of it because we didn't want to drown out the rest of the flavors from the whirlpool you know all those sort of factors go into it in addition to the residual sweetness and maybe a little bit of that extra residual sugar that that is there from the you know the fermentation so you had asked like how how we how we play with hops or or the you know how we compare oil contents of things um and the the cool thing is that um, you know, like we're, we're always learning. Um, we're always trying to sensory things out and we're, you know, you, you kind of set your, your own course and your own, like, you know, you kind of set in your mind, this is the way that we're going to go down and we're going to establish these type of standards. And from there, we're going to start to test things out. So it's like, we'll use a hop, like let's say Motueka and we read it has a 0.8 oil content and we're like, all right, we know we want to pair it with Citra, and we know that the range of the citra might be from, I don't know, like 2.3 to 2.8 or 1.8 or 1.8 to 2.5. So we start to take into consideration, okay, if we if we want to, you know, dry hop with, let's say, like, you know, uh, two and a half pounds, maybe 2.8, maybe three pounds per barrel, let's consider the type of hops we're using and what percentages, what their oil contents are. So you go and you use it. And you, you brew a beer and it comes out a certain way and then on the back and you try to, to, to analyze analyze stuff like that. So like we just did, uh, for the first time, we got our hands on some Sabro and we paired it with Citra. So everything that you would think about Citra from a brewing perspective and its intensity and its character, and we used this brand new hop called uh, called Sabro. And let's say like we did a beer where we went, let's say 60% Citra and 40% Sabro. And then the, the net result of it is that the Sabro just punched its way through. And it was the more intense of the hops. And you say, how the hell did this happen? We use 60% Citra. Citra, you know, Citra's the banger here, you know, and 40% Sabro. And then you go back and you're like, shit, like, you know, Sabro's a 3.8 at max. And Citra maybe is 2.5. Holy shit. Like that's that's how this beer netted out. This this shit's intense, right? So it's like that we start to think of it that way. It's like we did sixty forty. Maybe we need to separate this even more. So then the next beer we do, we do a mosaic beer with uh, with Sabro, and we take a look at those oil contents, and we say, you know what? We know what sixty forty was like with Citra and Sabro. Let's just keep the variable. Like let's eliminate the variables. Let's just replace the Citra with mosaic and learn what's going on with Sabro. And then you get this other hop, and it, the Sabro. Was was intense, but not nearly as intense as it was with the citrus. And then you're starting to form this own catalog of things going on in your mind. We really wanted to use Waimea. And it was like netting out, I think, at like uh, 2 point, I don't know, like 2.2, 2.3. And we're like, all right, we want to use Citra with this beer. We want to use Galaxy with this beer. This is what Galaxy is like lately. We know Galaxy is really big. Citra is really big over here. Citra is maybe 2.5. All right, how do we want all these guys to net out? It's like, all right, we're going to go 55 Citra. We think those oils will get us a lot higher. We, Waimea, who knows what's going on, you know, but it's, 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 it's saying it could be as intense. So maybe we need to scale that back a little bit. Um, and 
at that sense, it's like you you feel you feel like safe enough in your approach, um, and you know what you're using, and you brew it, and then it comes out, and you taste it, and you're like, all right, like, and you start to kind of chop it up, and then that informs the next one. So unfortunately, you have to you have to brew it, and you have to take that chance, and you form you you form a, 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 a like a gnarly way of doing it where you're going to get a gnarly beer. But I feel like that's how we're starting to learn about what these hops are all about. And then it changes for you every year when there's a new harvest. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. But, but, but that's the fun part of yeah. this job, right? Like we get a sample or we get to go out and rub something with a farmer or a hop supplier and it completely changes our opinion of a certain hop or how it might blend into all of that. And I just feel like that feeds into the whole exciting piece of brewing, which is if you, if you, if you stop learning or you're not as excited about learning constantly, what are you doing? You know, and, and that keeps us on our toes. That keeps us fresh. That keeps our beers exciting. Um, and it's, it's really, you know, that's truly part of who we are. Yeah. And I, I know you mentioned that like maybe we, it would be cool if we had some sort of mathematical like way to say if we plug this hop in, you know, and that hop. I and you know, eventually I, specific there is another brewery out there, I won't name names, that that, that really no, has No, I totally that, believe yeah. that. It eventually down the line maybe we can get something like that going. But right now we're just we're having too much fun just trusting our senses and working together as a group and and really just like getting deep into those hop rubs and and taking all our experiences and taking that cumulative effort that we've got going on and just just learning from it, you know, and it's let's, super organic. Let's talk a little bit about cryo hops. Um, you know, I know you guys have a you know some uh, interesting and specific percep- uh, uh, experiences and perceptions of using cryo hops that uh, that don't necessarily match up to a uh, you know this is uh, we simply use half as many hops and it produces a similar kind of flavor. Um, so tell me from your perspective uh, what you guys have gotten out of cryo hops, some of the different cryo varieties. Um, and how that has impacted some of the beers that you make and how, how you think about using cryo hops in uh, hops blends now. No, we absolutely love cryo hops. I mean, every time we sit down and rub a cryo hop sample or any sort of cryo hop, we are just enamored with it. And, and we're, But we're, why? Well, I guess uh, for all the people out there who have never rubbed a, a cryo hop, uh, basically imagine like your favorite favorite ice cream and you open up the container and you smell it and you're like oh man this is a nostalgic flavor that i love but now imagine that it's it's that flavor like tenfold twice fold or three three time fold you know <laughs> i know i went the down there the, well, without the aroma of the cardboard uh, yeah. ice cream top exactly yeah the cardboard ice cream top's gone now and now you just have like a super saturated you know pistachio ice cream or you have a super saturated you know maple pancake ice cream you know who knows what you're going for uh and and when we rubbed uh when when you rub certain hops that you may you may already have a certain perception of that are in cryo form uh can sort of do what jeremiah was talking about earlier and sort of change your perception on those hops one of those hops for us was uh equinot like that's a hop that we like using in uh in smaller amounts because uh the classic t90 pellet version has a decent amount of vegetal vegetal green pepper characteristics that when you use it in such large amounts that really starts to come out and it's uh it can get a little bit overbearing however when you when you use equinox cryo that vegetal matter that green pepper that's there is 
sort of non-existent. It's it's just straight tropical fruit to the highest extent. You know, you got like super bright lemon. You've got super bright uh, papaya. It's like, wow, where was this hop my whole life? You know, like why can't I use this all the time? So does that change then, like, you know, uh, for example, contact times, uh, lengths of your dry hops, you know, you're not, you maybe don't have to drop things out as quickly because you're not as worried about getting a vegetal character out of it. Um, are you using them functionally in different ways than you might otherwise use uh, regular pellet hops? Yeah, for sure. We never, uh, it, it hasn't gotten to the point for us where it's really changing our schedule. We don't use, uh, we like to, we like to like, add the cryo hops here and there to sort of augment our dry hops. We haven't really gotten to the point where we're replacing like more than 50% of our dry hop with cryo hops yet. Uh, we like to use it as a tool to sort of boost what otherwise might be unboostable in the sense of if we boost it to this point, we're going to get too much vegetal matter. So the only way to boost it is to use cryo to get more of that great flavor that we're looking for. You know, we haven't really, uh, we haven't really been able to get our hands on enough of it to to supplement a dry hop in a lot of the ways a lot of some of the other breweries are doing it. Like we were just over at Modest and and they're all about cryo now and and they have some awesome thoughts on how you can use cryo and and use a shredder pump and you know that saves them a ton of time and 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 their yield is so much better and and when you talk to breweries like that that really use it it's it's super inspiring and it it definitely inspires you to use to use more of those hops. It's a cool question because we'll brew, right? So we'll brew a West Coast uh, like pale ale and let's say it's citra mosaic um, and we'll use mosaic pellets. And let, so let's say like mosaic, uh, mosaic's named, it's because it provides a mosaic of flavors, right? So it can get super tropical, but it gets super stinky, right? But in, but in, uh, in a West Coast pale ale, we don't mind some of that stinky, right? To go with some of that bitterness. Um, but then we might be building a hazy double IPA and as we're going through the hop combo we're looking for that like that last third um and mosaic might come up but in that sense it's like we're not looking for mosaic pellets because we might have that dank covered and we're just looking for the big fruit you know maybe like the the original mosaic in our minds which just was all fruit so it's like yo let's just let's revert to mosaic uh, cryo on that one. So, I mean, to answer that question, yeah, I guess we are changing applications based on cryo like that. Same thing with equinite. It could have that vegetal matter, which could be cool in a dank-ass West Coast beer, but as we're going through, maybe we want to round out those edges, but we say, you know what, equinot, like that equinot cryo has just got all the tropical elements, all the pineapple elements that that the equinot pellet has with, you know, minus some of the other stuff. So it's like, let's just, let's just sneak in 11 pounds of this, of these, you know, cryo pellets. And maybe that is 22 or whatever, but yeah, that's absolutely the way that you would think of it. And then maybe in the reverse, you wouldn't, you know, maybe you want something stinky in your West coast and you're like, no, we're not going to use a cryo because it's just this and we want that and this and, you know, so that's, I mean, so yeah. And that's, what's cool with hops. It's like that type of stuff is happening. Right. And you have those type of options. That's cool. And then the, the question is, I guess, it's like, so what other cryo are we not using? You know, what's cascade, you know, what's cascade cryo like compared to pellets and what is, and then, and as they're starting to, to start of cryo pelletize all these other hops, it brings up that question. And then I guess the other thing is that if we're talking about like selecting hops and, and wanting to decide, you know, select hops based on a certain character, it's like, if you can't select hops, is cry, is, is all the cryo 
is all the cryo the the you know the the non-vegetative and all fruit and less stinky portion of that so if you can't select the best whatever hop are we going cryo i don't know who knows we'll try it out we could be wrong now that's interesting i mean yeah maybe you know, is uh does cryo the process eliminate some of the uh, more drawback uh, characteristics of otherwise, uh, you know, less desirable lots of those hops. I don't know. I don't know. But sometimes those less desirable hops do have those applications. Yeah, you know, for sure. So tell me, you know, are there any other bangers that we haven't talked about yet that uh, you know, from your perspective, that you uh, that you love making beers with? Ooh, and are there other other combinations with those bangers and then those kind of you know supporting. Uh, uh, hops that just really sing for you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of the obvious ones, the citrus, the mosaics, pair them together. Citra mosaic, citra galaxy. Uh, we're continuing to learn about new ones. We mentioned strata, so citra strata, mosaic strata, citrus sabro, Vic secret sabro. Oh, yeah. Vic secret, that's Vic right. Secret. That's a big one for you guys. I will we love take that Vic hop. secret over galaxy any day of the week oh. these days. Uh, conflicting First. opinions, but yeah, I mean, there's merit to all of it, right? Like we, and, but, but when, when you're talking about hops like that, it's, we don't even have to think about whether or not that's worth trying. You know, like if, if Jude's like, we should do Vic Secret and Simcoe, and we know of a really great Simcoe lot that we're excited about. And Justin's like, we should do Vic Secret Citra. It's like, yeah, we should do both. Let's just figure out where we're going to do it or, you know, when we're going to do it. Um, I think... Uh, there's always new territory to be explored with old hops, right? As you continue to explore new hops like the Sabros, uh, like now there's a, a hop called Provoke, yeah, uh, which I thought was an experimental hop that we had used but wasn't. So we're talking, we're talking hops uh, like HBC 472, which is supposed to bring some barrel characteristics, which is also what Provoke is supposedly supposed to do, Oro 6297. Uh, which is orange tropical vanilla that is now called Lotus. Uh, as you continue to learn about those hops, now you're you now you find yourself kind of sitting in your chair thinking, what does this do with Cascade? What does this do with Citra? What does this do with Comet? Um, so there are all kinds of like applications with older hops that you, that that if you're really excited about this realm of of beer and brewing, like you really constantly want to like get back to your roots too and be like well what about what about what i already knew you know what what about the first thing that i learned about hops or uh what if i did uh what if i did noble hops here which is what i liked about your question earlier is like how do you you know how do you compare your your hop selection or you're talking about this or that or what do you like and when you're rubbing hops and We've rubbed noble hops and then we've rubbed cryo right after that. And it's like it's like smelling diesel, you know, after smelling water sometime. And you really gotta like reset your mind and get yourself in the right mind frame of like, all right, that's gonna be different because this is like the ultimate concentrate. But like if we're brewing this or that or we're doing a pilsner or we're doing 
a hefa that that like we want to use a citra in like maybe noble citra makes more sense so like we're constantly excited by those new those new products that you're you know your folks at bsg and cmg and hopsteiner and all those guys that are constantly trying to come up with what's new and latest and greatest and getting people excited but there's just there's so it's much like smoking out there. some jamaican blue mountain ganja <laughs> versus uh some 30 percent thc uh ultra hybrid you really just got to immerse yourself in every possible yeah, yeah. variable you can get your hands on and then just like come up with what sounds delicious I think that, that the way that we internalize things is that like all, all hops are good. Um, and uh, we'll, I, I think that we'll tier things out, like tier one will be the hops that could stand alone on them, by themselves. And that like maybe the second tier is like, these are the hops that we would pair with the hops that would stand alone on themselves. Um, but going back to the idea that it, you've got to have the idea that, that all hops are good and that our challenge is to be able to unlock what's there so that the onus is on us to find the right combination of things. Um, I, our big thing, and I think that the, th- the, the, the challenge that, that we present to ourselves, that I think what, what's on us is that we're always trying to unlock new flavors and new aromas. They're out there. Um, so it's on us to be able to, to, you know, unlock like the right combinations of all these hops to do that. Um, so again, it's if it's not like a question of if a hop's good or if it's hops bad. It's just probably if we're using it the wrong way or we don't know how to use it. So I think the challenge is that it's all good. All the flavors are out there. It's on us to be able to find out how we could unlock new flavors and aromas with the right combination. So what have you been rediscovering lately? What, uh, you know, on that kind of older school hops character, old, you know, older school varieties, have you found may be more intriguing with some, uh, in combination with some newer varieties and provide, uh, you, know, you know, something that may be unexpected? The best example in our lineup of that, I th- in my opinion, and I let these guys answer differently if they feel differently, uh, we do an imperial coffee stout called the World's Colombian Coffee Exposition, and in that uh, in that beer we use UK Phoenix. That's <clears throat> maybe the only UK or older traditional hop that we use in any of our beers. It's not a new, sexy, tropical, fruity hop, but we select it because it brings molasses, it brings chocolate, it brings leather, and we looked at that and we thought, well, you know, what what better application than and then a stout or like a big stout with coffee for that hop than than that, right? So uh, we use that. Uh, we also pair that with H with HBC four seventy two, which is what I mentioned earlier, which is supposed to bring some a little bit of coconut, a little bit of barrel characteristics. But we felt like if we're using this in that flavor edition realm, that aroma edition realm, even in a beer like an imperial coffee stout, where you're not making big whirlpools or big dry hops, like these are two hops that are both old and new that can work together in harmony and really kind of bring you know bring what we're looking for and and what we've done with that beer is even before we bomb it with coffee we'll sometimes divert some to some barrels because it's a really exciting base Mm. so if we feel like we're really getting the kind of base that we anticipate from our you know from a double mash whether we're doing that or we're just like we're just cranking a straight brew out uh you know we could 
that, that would taste great with a rum barrel or a bourbon barrel or a whiskey or let's do a blend or let's try an absinthe barrel which we have you know cooking right now so um yeah you know old hops and new hops new hops that have names new hops that don't yet have names ones that are tried and true ones that we haven't used you know it's like you really got to explore all avenues and like all of that is exciting when your name is hop butcher we'd expect nothing less yeah right oh yeah some hops that that are super old school that i get really excited about uh sometimes are like the really good lots of centennial like i'm like i want to pair this with everything under the sun but the problem is, is it's really hard to find really good lots of Centennial. Um, I don't know how Bells does it all the time with Two Hearted, but if I could get Centennial I like that all the time. I think it has to do with the uh, volume and uh, where, they, sure. where they pick in the order so of pick. Oh, I'm sure. Which they is, so they pick yeah. those super early. That's important. I think that's worth bringing up and talking about, right? Like as, yeah. as a brewer of four or five years old, we're trying to get our, you know, our volume up and make more and more beer. We're just about now at the stage where we're getting to a point where we can order enough hops where us three can sit in a room, rub them, and be like, we want that lot. Um, which isn't a luxury that a lot of home brewers or you know sure, or smaller sure. brewers have, and that can make all the difference difference in the world for some hops and not for others, right? Like you you know for sure that like your mosaic, your galaxy, your your citra, you're gonna probably get a pretty good lot no matter where you buy it. But there are other hops that uh, you know, the difference between one lot and another might be like uh, her- herbal and spicy versus like ultra tropical. And that could be that could be a hop as well known as El Dorado, that could be a Zaka, that could be Idaho. Simcoe, Idaho Seven, and that can make all the difference in the world in what your beer tastes like and how you perceive a hop. So it's exciting to us to finally be at a point where we're like, oh, next year we'll be able to to pick our lot for that one or that one. Um, but you know, looking backwards, it's also. You know, we did the best with what we had in front of us. And sometimes that meant maybe asking that extra question of a supplier like our guy at BSG and being like, hey, we get that you want to sell us 440 pounds of this El Dorado, but like, do you have a sample you can send us first so we can play around with it and just like get to know it before we build a beer around it? Um, And we do that a lot. And I think that's a fair question. And most of those guys are super cool with doing that. Like, heck yeah. You know, and that's small farms and big suppliers alike. Hey, we don't know what we like of the four years of crops you have available. Can you send us one ounce of each? We'll pay for it. Send it to us. We rub it. We decide amongst us what we like, and then we order what what we want to use. Um, we used Chinook recently, and like going back to to hops, like we uh, we used it, and it was like, all right, we could roll with this. It's like. Chinook can roll like in a hazy brew, you know. I think like Amarillo, maybe like I'm romanticizing it, but like, like you know, Amarillo was maybe the first hop that, like, that blew our minds. And like, you know, to me, it's like it's green and resiny again and fruity. And it's like, all right, we could roll with this. So it's like now the the options that have opened up to use Amarillo with all these other beers uh, is sick, and that's super cool and stuff like that. Like you don't see Chinook a lot or you know you don't see chunking out and we use it like shit like here it is like if we use this the right way we can unlock something in this it could provide some real cool character in what we're trying to achieve so that's super gnarly if that see if that comes on and off i think that's super cool <laughs> yeah it's it's uh chinook's probably my one of my favorite hop varietals and you know for the longest time a lot of brewers were kind of keeping it out of new england style ipas maybe besides bittering and 
for some kettle additions, but uh, when you rub that hop, you realize that it still has so much of that great, like, r- ruby red grapefruit, like, pulpy, like, cotton candy, and it has, like, that pine characteristic that I'm always itching to taste, even when I'm drinking, like, a New England style that's, that's sort of putting that in the background. And I think that as long as we're doing our due diligence to make sure that that is playing well with the rest of the hops, that that can sort of open a whole new level of complexity for New England style IPAs. Like, I just remember like early on that like everyone's like, oh yeah, you have to have tropical hop profiles in your New England style IPAs or else they're not New England style IPAs. And it's like, I feel like the style no, has gotten that's way. Wrong. The, I know, I know, and the <laughs> no, style has right, sort of right. evolved and grown yeah, beyond yeah. that sort of narrow-minded yeah, thinking. Uh, you know, anyone who anyone who's saying that isn't actually tasting these new actual Not New England yeah. IPAs from some of the you know uh, uh, folks that were on the forefront of that. Oh yeah, where they all still Columbus. Have, right, yeah, they still have I know, you know yeah. solid solid bitterness components to for them. sure. CTZ, and, yeah. yeah. And definitely some of yeah those those kind of piney characters, just adding those layers of depth to them. And you know, I mean, it's easy I think for anyone to build character caricatures of what these styles are. You know, and I mean, you can you know, sure. do that for every style. You, you can go make a Hefeweizen that's you know full of banana and clove, and it's just banana clove all day long. Right. You know, but that's not a you know that isn't going to make a great example of that beer. It's just going to make this caricature of the style of the yeah. beer. It's not that in nuanced ways, and I think you know what you're saying is, is exactly right. That uh, uh, you know by layering in some of these uh, you know almost familiar and classic uh, characteristics, it builds you know a bit of a connection between uh, you know where we've been and where we're going. Yeah. Um, you know that also makes it taste like beer. For sure, for sure, and you know a lot of the things that draw people into doing style IPAs are a lot of, like, maybe different from what other draws other people to New England-style IPAs. Like, we talked a lot about it today with a lot of the Minnesota breweries that we were hanging out with about how New England-style IPAs are a great jumping-in point for people who don't normally like IPAs. Sure. And that's kind of an oxymoron when you think about how many hops are going into these beers, you know? But then there's, you can you could say equally that hop heads get equally excited about it, and it's just because, you know, consumers may not, you know, like early consumers earlier that like people who haven't gotten super into to IPAs yet misconstrue what they dislike about IPAs and New England style IPAs are super approachable but they're also super super like exciting for people who already have been down that pathway for IPAs and I think it's a good way to when you when you blend in hops that you know in a in a traditional IPA might throw early like or uh new new beer drinkers or new IPA drinkers that might throw them off that pathway, you can slowly introduce those into doing style IPAs and sort of introduce that bitterness and that, that piney resiny profile in a way that can really hook somebody, you know? For sure. So what's next on the horizon for Hot Butcher? Should I... Should I uh, <laughs> you want to take this one? No, I, I, I want to... Well, you mean like hop-wise? You mean like... Anything in general wise? Just to answer that. I question. feel like. <laughs> all right, I got you. So, can I say this, guys? Like, oh, you were asking you? about secret what bangers. I feel like we're pretty safe at saying this. There's only maybe you know fifteen to twenty thousand people that may listen to this yeah. eventually. What do you, you the 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 resident culture? Oh, go. Yeah. Can we talk go about it? Uh, we're going to be brewing a beer with resident culture that's going to have this new hop varietal called Triumph, and it's a super small lot. And we got as much as we could, and uh, 
we're super excited about it. We rubbed it and we're like, this is weird and great in all the ways that we get super excited about. Uh, it's got sort of like the unripened plantain, like banana smoothie thing that Sabro has going on, but it also has like some of those like grapefruit, like pithy, like piney, like bright citrusy characters of like your Waimeas, your your Chinooks, and your and your Centennials, and we're super excited to pair it with some some really fun hops, and I think uh, I think that you know if it if it works out, it's going to be something that we're we get we get super nerdy about in the future. Yeah. We we rubbed that. Justin talked about that a little bit, but we we got a sample and we were like, oh my god, how is this not a hop that has like a th- hundred thousand acres? But there's only three acres, one lot, and we were getting banana cream pie. So like our first, uh, you know, the first obvious thought was, why don't we put this in milkshakes? Why don't we put this in New England styles? Um, and it legit took us like eight or nine months to track it down from the point we had a sample to the FDA approving it, to the hop suppliers actually getting it pelletized, to being able to ship it to us because they focus on Citra, Mosaic, Simcoe, Cascade, etc. Literally everything else before they get to the smallest, most experimental, you know, newer stuff that they that they run through machines and pelletize, etc. So we 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 had our our pellets wetted and we were like we want it give us more how much can we get can we get 22 or can we get 220 pounds or can we get more um and and instantly our brains are like let's use it in new england style. let's make a heifa out of it let's uh let's you know put it into this beer that we've already made but maybe it makes that beer a better beer um so we're as you can tell uber excited about a hop like that that's coming down the uh the pike just as we would if we stumbled upon an experimental hop that just like blew our minds that we happen to use randomly um and there are there are a handful of experimental hops that we have in our cooler right now that we haven't even gotten around to but when you when you when you do a sensory or you hear of something or you read an ex, a description, uh, you know everything just kind of rejockeys for position in terms of what gets you excited based on the types of beers we're brewing. So, Jamie, we've essentially been a gypsy brewery for four years. So the next thing is that we just need we need to open up a brewery in our own tap room. Okay, <laughs> that's what's up next. That's what's up next. Uh, is there a timeline for that? No, no. That's just just the the bigger broader. We got to get we, we got to get working on it. Soon I hear you. I hear. Well, I can't wait to uh, to taste uh, what you brew with this uh, Triumph hop with resonant culture. Can't wait to uh, eventually come visit you in your tap room right up in Chicago. Uh, thanks to uh, Jude and Jeremiah and Justin from uh, Hop Butcher in uh, Darien, Illinois, right now, and uh, soon to be maybe somewhere else uh, or in that general Chicago land area. Um, uh, you know, before we finish this up, I do want to throw out a, you know a few thanks here. Uh, G&D Chiller is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. SS Brewtech is committed to advancing brewing equipment, design, performance, and quality. Bring the world to your brew house with select ingredients from BSG. Join the community of homebrewers at the American Homebrewers Association. And I want to send a special thanks to Jake Sauter of Clear River Beverage here in Minnesota for providing us with these cans of hop butcher uh, uh, that they had brought into the state so that we could drink some of these during the podcast night. Thank you, Jake. Um, and uh, thank you guys from Hot Butcher for joining me on the podcast. If thank people, you, Jamie. If people want to uh, learn more about Hot Butcher, where do they find you? Hotbutcher.com. We've got an Instagram, we've got a Facebook, and we got a Twitter. And if you want to talk to us on those channels, we will talk to you back. Fantastic. 
if you uh, enjoy the podcast, of course, please hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. And we hope you go to beerandbrewing.com and click on that subscribe button and become a subscriber to the magazine, just like Jude is. Right on. <laughs> we'll be back next week with another uh, episode of the podcast. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.